Welcome to Grab 'em by the Songs, the podcast. My name is Kim Lembo, and I'm a Bay Area songwriter and musician. This podcast was created collectively as a way to bring forth some of the most powerful women songwriters around. We wanted to give women a platform to tell our stories about life, creativity, and the journey into music as a language. Our goal is to encourage creative women to share the stories about the songs that inspire us all. We're here in Oakland with, I cannot believe I get to say this, in my studio in Oakland. (laughs) I'm using air quotes as I always do. Uh, Katie Cash is sitting across from me. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. Audrey on the couch. Yo. (laughs) Trying to make it happen. (laughs) Johnny. I'll just repeat what you said. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm a little starstruck, I have to tell you. What? It's the first time it's happened. No way. It is. You say that to everybody. No, I have not said that to anybody. <laughs> of course, most of the other people have been my friends. So We're friends. Uh, but I've been watching you for a lot of years. Like I, My friend brought me to the hard rock because I when I got here, I had I was not really playing music anymore. And she was trying to like, she's like, you have to go check out this band. It's going to inspire you. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. Oh, cool. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. And I was completely in awe. I mean, your playing is fucking amazing. Thank you. I play guitar, but I can't play guitar. Like you just, you just move on that instrument in a very unique way. And it's very exciting to watch. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's good for me to hear because I've, you know, I feel the same. Like I play guitar, but. I can't like play the guitar. Oh no, you play have, guitar. <laughs> we have guitarists in the room here. I'm not supposed to look at them, but some pretty stellar guitars. <laughs> uh, but no, thank don't you. Don't judge the electric guitar on the wall. That was I. I inherited that recently um, hey. from a friend who was going to give it away, and I'm like, I want it. Oh. I, want I just played a friend. A friend of mine just got a Squire. and she texted me, "Hey, would you judge somebody if they were playing a Squire on stage?" <laughs> Um, but anyway, I just was at her place and she pulled out the instrument. It had an awesome tone. It nice. sounded great. I'm like, you know what? If your guitar sounds good and it feels good, yeah. then that's what matters. You know, the tone, awesome. that's how I feel about it. I want to learn electric. I, it's not something I play. I play acoustic, you know, acoustic electric, and I'm much more of a rhythm player, but I kind of like the idea of screwing around with it. And Audrey on the couch is in, is definitely inspiring me to learn slide because sometimes she sits there playing slide, and I'm just so jealous. Audrey on the couch is a badass. Audrey on the couch is badass for sure. <laughs> I'm going to read your killer bio. Uh, okay, here we go. The music of Katie Cash harkens to a time when rock and roll inspired revolution. In the manner of legend, she handles her guitar with an unparalleled command, embodying the music with every fiber of her being. Her f- hair flung as staccato punctuations to the heart she wears right on her sleeve. I'm embellishing. She owns her vocal delivery, swinging you between high and low in an array of lustful richness and provocative rhythms. Perhaps most known for her well-loved band and brainchild Dolorata, she currently shares lead vocal and guitar duties in Oakland-based bands, Year of the Fist, and skip the needle, <laughs> gliding between punk rock and rock and soul with graceful authenticity her friends have come to love. Welcome, Katie. 
Thank you. <laughs> so I went back and did a bunch of research today. I have known of you and have certainly been out to hear you play through the years as we've We'll come back to you later in this podcast. Um, but I listened or I watched your uh, your fundraising oh, video. Yeah. Yes. And I talked about the fact you got your first guitar when you were 12. Yes. What was it? It was, speaking of no-name guitars, uh, I think it was something called an XS, SX-1000. Mm-hmm. What it was was a rental guitar that um, I had lessons for six months um, when I was 12 at a music store called Woolmers in San Mateo. And so they had instruments that kids could rent, you know, parents could rent for their kids. Um, if you couldn't afford to buy something. So it was an electric guitar. I still have it. It's pretty awesome. I've actually wanted to do something with it, but, um, it was $75 and it had, you know, like one pickup and looks pretty, it's really heavy. It's pretty metal looking. SX-1000, so... And you that were 12. Was my, yes, that was my first guitar. Did you write music on <clears throat> I did, yes. I, you know, the... Um, sorry about that. It's all good. The... I don't know how great the songs were on, <laughs> that I wrote on that guitar, but I did write songs. <laughs> do you remember your first song that you wrote? Um, yes, I do. It was... Uh, well... So I used to write poetry, still do, but it, that's what I started doing, was writing poetry um, before I actually put it to instrument. So I wrote a few things um, down before putting some music, but the first song that I wrote uh, was about my grandmother, actually, who was my favorite person uh, in the world. And um, she passed away well she passed away when I was 15 and um she had she had cancer and we took care of her you know through that journey um so I think that I wrote it while she was sick which was a few years before that do you remember any of the lyrics Mm, I'd have to think about that yeah yeah I'm sure they're in there but it's Mm -hmm. been a long time yeah yeah and you were 15 when she passed away. Yes. When do, you, when do you think you wrote that song? How old were you? Um, maybe, thir- maybe 13. Wow. You know, I wrote some, you know, non-lyric songs. Um, in fact, the first time I played music with anybody else was with my brother, who's a drummer. And he was in a band called the Loudmouths, which is a punk rock band. And his bandmate, Beth Allen, was a bass player. And they, uh, my brother was like, hey, Beth, you know, would you be down to play some music with my little sister? And I totally remember going to his house in the city and, you know, quote, unquote, jamming with them. And we did like three or four songs and have, you know, that cassette is somewhere out there. You like, were 13 at the time? I think I was 13 or 14. When what was that, that like to walk in the room like with sounds like older kids, a yeah, bit older, and you're walking in with your guitar and yeah, about it, to jam with them? Like what? It was. I mean, it was it was scary. I used to do that at home with my brother. So mm-hmm. when he still lived at home, he had a drum set. I actually wanted to play the drums, but he already had he was he already played the drums, and so there wasn't going to be two drum sets in that house <laughs> at all. So that's why I picked up the guitar. But I would I would, when he wasn't there, I'd go in his room and play on his drums. Um, 
So we would play at the house, but going to his place in the city, um, yeah, it was really cool, you know? And I used to, I used to go out to his shows when I was quite young as well. I had a fake ID. That was my other brother's, but they messed up and put female on it. So I used it. And it was back in the day, you know, their old school paper California driver's license, and he mm-hmm. was young. So when he was young, his face and my face, they, we looked a lot alike, and it said female. They would. So anyway, um, but yeah, that was, that was really cool. We were just talking about that the other day. It's the first time I played, you know for real in a room with somebody else they were they were very nice to do that i thought it's amazing <laughs> actually to have an older sibling brother especially you know yeah be like come play with us yeah beautiful he was a major influence on a lot of stuff that i did well it sounds like from the story you were telling earlier he saved the day on a another show for you like he came in and played drums yeah he played um he played with me for a number of years i had this thing called i have all these spinoffs of my name but the Pits. I had a band called The Pits for a few years, and we would do gigs like in the lounge of the Fillmore, you know, the poster room. And um, I did a few shows like El Rio and and things like that. And he was the drummer in The Pits. I remember seeing you at El Rio. I don't know if it was Dolorada or if it was before. But I remember walking in and being like, oh, that's that girl that I saw do at the Hard Rock. Holy crap, she's really good. I, I think it was... Um, couldn't have been mango it couldn't have been mango or it wasn't a dance party but it was something there were multiple bands on the bill and i just remember being like sort of zeroing in on your thing oh that's cool was it outside or inside it was outside outside yeah it was a daytime thing i wonder if it was like one of the memorial day because dolorada did the shit kicking memorial day events yeah it could be i mean there's been so many el rio has been uh El Rio is a bar in San Francisco out in the Mission. And I've been, I mean, I, there's so many shows. I couldn't possibly remember them yeah. all that I've seen at that space. Sitting here with Audrey on the couch many times that I've seen her play at all, El Rio. Absolutely. We've, Audrey on the couch and I have played many a show <laughs> together at El Rio. Uh, El Rio was actually one of the clubs that I, at one time, had played the most shows I'd played. You know, they've They've been very good to me in all of my projects. I'm super grateful to them. In fact, the first show, the very first show I played in San Francisco was at the Peacock Lounge, and it was a it was a party. But oh. the the second show that I played in the city was El Rio, and it was Twang uh, when Hillary Reed uh, put on Twang, and this yeah. was before Cowgirl Palooza. Yeah. Um, so was that was the first gig ago. that I did, and that was the Pits with my brother and my friend James Rouse, who is currently in Muñecas and oh, wow. I'm not sure if he's in he was in a couple other bands but um, yeah, well I busted out this CD when you walked in today that I realized I had which is the Coal Pits Wash from 2005 yes, that was <laughs> surprising that you had that I know I was really kind of giggling to myself I'm like I'm going to totally surprise these people yeah that is a CD. that's like a demo right there yeah that's from 2005 and I think I think we determined that I got it it had to have been the Hard Rock Cafe. I don't remember when the Hard Rock even went away. Right. I can't either. That was a lo- I mean, that gig was a long time ago. I was talking at least 12 or 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I put a lot of miles on this body. <laughs> yeah, me too. Is there something wrong?
my mother loved to sing. She always, I think she always wanted to sing. But again, that's something that only we know. People don't know that, you know. And she, oh no, no, no. And she, she had a she had a really good voice when I when she would just sing along to things, you know. I end arguments now with my mom by making her harmonize with me. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's like a trick I learned about three years ago. I'm like, oh, we'd be bickering in the kitchen, and I would just pull the guitar out and be like, you know what, why don't you just sing these notes with me? My <laughs> mom would love it if I did that. I do Ooh. not. Maybe I should do that. It really changed our relationship. <laughs> we argue way less. That's maybe because she knows if we start arguing, I'm going to make her sing. <laughs> so she that just doesn't even go there. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just not worth it. I don't want to sing. <laughs> um. So I definitely want to talk about this record that is I've been listening, sort of absorbed in the last two days, um, which I yes. really, really am enjoying it. Thank um, you. Which is Gift Horse. Yes. I would say it's a, a step out from anything else I've put out or done. Definitely. I was born a rich man. My father carried black gun in hand. Mother Mary came rushing in, guilt and blaming, ripping my sin. I always wanted to do something with those tunes and um so it sort of started with wanting to do something with those tunes and then also wanting to do a body of work incorporating my community so you know after you know playing music in the bay area for as many years as i've been playing you know i think about all the incredible musicians that i know and work with and i've had the the honor and pleasure of working with and i sort of wanted to bring those people together to create something and so that's sort of the original version um of the vision was this idea of community um so i actually started this project um i started to sort of you know pick a couple songs and piece different players together i worked with um some of the musicians that are actually on the record some people that didn't end up being on the record but we we did some recordings i did some recordings at um Rob Preston, uh, Get Real. Is it Get Real Productions? Rob's out of Secret Studios. Yeah, Yeah, Get Real Productions. Rob's awesome. I love working with him. Um, So we actually recorded some some tunes. And then I put the project on hold. I decided to go back to school. So I was in my band, um, Dolorada, had ended, and I was in a band, a tribute band, called Turbo Negra, which was a mm. all-female tribute band to Turbo Negra. And we were about to leave on our second European tour. And the day before that, I applied to Mills College. And I just sort of had this, like, okay, if I get in, I'm going to go. And if not, I'm not. And I hadn't been in school for a, probably a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I 
got back and I got in and I went to, to Mills for what did you study? music composition. Awesome. And yeah, it was, it was, uh, quite humbling, which I knew it would be. I had done, um, I had done all my GE transfer stuff when I was younger. I didn't go right to school after high school, you know, and then I, I did a bunch of work at city college, which was amazing. That school is amazing. San Francisco city college. Um, and then I went to SF state and withdrew and then went into the college of extended learning there for, recording engineering, actually. I went into the music industry program there, which was a certificate program at the time. And my study, my, my focus was, uh, recording engineering, which I love. I love all of that stuff and editing. Is that something you do? Do you engineer now? I don't, but I, I, I get into it when I'm producing my own records, you know? Um, and it's something I actually love to do. And, and after I got out of that program, I actually, um, bought a bunch of stuff. I had a reel-to-reel, and I had a bunch of equipment. And I recorded, you know, a few people. And then I thought, you know, if I'm going to be really great at something, i got to put all my time into it. And I said, you know, my first my first love and passion is writing and performing. And so I sold a lot of my gear, and I formed Colpit's Wash, which then became Dolorada. Um, and so that was that, that time. But... Um, but fast forwarding, I had never finished my degree. And so I had done all of this work, but I still just had a major to do. And so I applied to Mills and I got into Mills and um, was in for studying music. And I mean, it was uh, intimidating because I had never studied at the level. I had never studied music yeah. like most people in that program. You know, they've been studying since they were children. So, And I had this whole thing around like, I can't do it. You know, I'm not. I'll never be able to do that. Um, so it was definitely a challenge, and it was I was humbled every day, you know. But it was wonderful. I think it was a great decision. But during that, so I had put this other, this project on hold, and my time at Mills, um, I was fortunate to work with some incredible professors there, um, one of them being Fred Frith. And I had an independent sort of a, a practicum with Fred Frith, and he, you know, he asked, what do you want to do with your time? And I said, well, you know, I've had this vision of this record, and maybe we can, you know, go over the, the songs, composition. So he helped me um, sort of hone in the focus of the, the vision.
So Julie Wolf produced the record, mm-hmm. and I had her in mind to produce it. And so, I mean, I can't, you know, the timeline is a little blurry right now, but I know that it was quite a while after I had graduated before I even asked Julie. Um, and she, you know, we had a meeting, and she listened to tunes, and she said yes, you know, right there, which was amazing. And um, so it was sort of just this long time coming, you know, and a lot of different stages of the work yeah. to get to the place of actual, you know, producing a, a product, you know, that's a finished product. So once you went into the studio, how long, how long did you go in? Like, how long was that process? Once you had decided, okay, we're in, you'd raise the money. How long did you take? Um, like actual recording after yeah. production and all few of that. Months, few weeks. Where you, you did you do it all, t- all in one fell swoop and then build from there? Like what was no, it was uh, so pre-production was quite a while, and then once I went into the studio, um, you know, basics was three days, but then overdubs was over a series of I would say months. Um, I would say from start to finish in the recording studio to, you know, finish product was well over a year. Wow. Um, yeah, I'd actually have to look at the timeline to know the exact that's amount. Amazing. But it was... I mean, that's a, that's a... I don't think that the general... I don't think that people comprehend the amount of time it takes to generate one piece of music. Absolutely. Yeah. That we pop in and listen to for 45 minutes. That's right. Like, it's, you know, it's... Hours and hours and hours and hours and right. hours and hours and hours. Yeah, hundreds you, of hours. You can yes, exactly, hundreds of hours. You can spend hours on you know three seconds. Um, exactly. Yeah, there was a lot going on too. You know, I was um, I was offered a position at my job, the job that I had had. I was offered a different position, which was taking on quite a bit more than I you know would take quite a bit more of my time. Um, and the first day, you know, I ended up taking that job. The first day I started that job, my I had some, you know, personal things going on in my life. And uh, my father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer that had metastasized to the spine and the bone at the point he was diagnosed. So, um, and that was two weeks before I would, was to walk into the studio after, you know, however many months raising money, campaigning, you know, which was after however many months of, um, working towards doing that um and many months of pre-production so there's this large and long build-up um and like this is the moment right this is the moment you're going to go in there and do this thing and uh it was quite difficult and i got i actually was very sick i got you know more sick than i had been in probably 10 years i mean i caught some virus or something that had been going around and it lasted for few months I couldn't use my initial tracks even mm-hmm. my basics I was so ill during basics which was pretty devastating uh but you know I wasn't even playing my basic guitar tracks well enough so I had to redo those definitely couldn't do vocals I mean there were there were vocal sessions that had to be rescheduled redone um so all of that was a challenge and it was definitely challenging to not let that get me down after the the amount of work and put into making it a reality. So, but I didn't, you know, I just sort of forged forward. (laughs) 
Well, I I mean, knowing that story now, I I feel it in the, I feel it in the songs. I yeah. feel the truth and intimacy that's coming out of those songs. You know, well, that's good to hear. Because yeah. I would hear back some of the mixes, and I was, you know, I could hear like in my voice, oh, you can hear I'm sick, or you know, in some of the takes. I mean, not all of them, um, but. Obviously, when you're doing it, you know all the things that go into it, so you can yeah. hear all the everything. You can hear everything. I, I, to clarify, what I hear is that you were. Um, I hear the rawness and the truth, and if, like, I have a theory that I get sick when I'm emotionally, when things are happening, right? Sure. My yeah. body breaks down. It sounds to me, without being a doctor, <laughs> <laughs> um, right? But you know, you're an artist and you're sensitive, and part of our work as an artist is to be open. Right. So we have we remain open and vulnerable in particular ways. And it has to go somewhere. And oftentimes it goes in the breakdown of our bodies. And right. It's just we get sick. So with your father going through what he was going through at the time, it makes sense to me that you're you got sick. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I know to me as well. Yeah. So did you end up um, did you end up pausing and then coming back to it and finishing months later? So there were some things I needed to, to pause, sort of some initial sessions. Um, however, you know, sort of my first thought was like, I can't, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do anything, you know, like yeah. this new job, this record. And then I just sort of thought about it. And I was like, you know, the last thing my dad would want me to do is like, quit my job. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, he wouldn't want me to halt this process. Right. So I, I just moved forward with everything. And I mean, it was very cool. He, you know, he, he invited, he and my mother into the, the, the vocal day, like the, the backing vocals or the choir day. <laughs> um, and that was really inspiring. I mean, that day was one of my favorite days or the whole recording session. I mean, they're just, everyone on this record is, Stellar, you know, oh, they're yeah. so talented. The amount of talent I have on this record is unbelievable. I'm just beyond Who's blessed and grateful. Who's your choir? Um, so we had uh, Marcel Davies Lashley, Shelly Nicole, Vicky Randall. Yeah. I um, hear Vicky, That's yeah. I, oh, yeah, I absolutely heard her. Yeah, they all have such amazing, distinct voices. Totally. You know, you can I can hear you know, every time it's like there's Shelly Nicole, there's Marcel, so good. Um, Julie Wolf sang on some of those tunes in the in the choir. Um, Marie Tree Garrett, mm. who is a friend of Shelley Nichols, came through with Shelley. Um, there are some backing vocals that include Shelley Doty, Coffee Brown, Margaret Belton, um, myself. Um, I think it's like that's, the who's who. I just I think want to that's a, clarify. It's like the who's who of the Bay Area. Well, in New York, we had New, New York representing in there. Well, yeah, so. definitely had New York represent Brooklyn which, specifically. Which, yeah, which is Shelley, amazing. Right? But uh, I mean, that's like a who's who. Of, and by the way, I completely I took a note. I'm like, oh, that's totally Julie playing um, piano on that track. It's uh, Broken Nights, which just is so gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, her playing on that's incredible. Yeah. Julie um, really rearranged that song. So she has a major arrangement um, credit on that song. Yeah. 
broken nights I've seen your reflections Bright Shining lights The biggest surprise for me and the most pleasant surprise of this album is to hear the softness that came out in this record. It was really beautiful. Right on. Thank you very much. Yeah, and Broken Dreams is, or Broken Nights, excuse broken me. Broken Nights. Broken well, Nights. Julie um, really stretched me in the recording of that tune. So that that song was, you know, got rearranged for several different reasons. Um, and I just love the, the result of the arrangement of that. Um, and the, I mean, the players on this record are, are epic. So on that song, it's Julie, um, James DePredo on guitar. James is amazing. He's amazing. He's just like, he's got yeah. all the goods. You know, he's on a he, few. Uh, I've recorded some stuff with um, Adam Rossi and some of those guys. Okay. Some of the Chuck Prophet guys, yeah. just through this other whole thing. Yeah. And James is on those songs. He's so tasty. Like <laughs> just everything tasty. he does. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, when when um, Julie, you know, Julie let me know about him and said, you know, I think I got, I think I got guitars for this. Um, that might be a great fit. And, you know, first meeting with him, just the stuff he did with the tunes, just in his, you know, in his house was like, oh, yeah, let's do this for sure. So um, he, you know, everything he does on this record is gorgeous. Um, but he's on that tune, Mike Sugar on bass on that song, nice. and um, Allie Miller on drums on that tune. Um, it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful arrangement. And then in the studio, when she, when we were, you know, laying down vocals on that, Julie really stretched me because I had one way that I had been singing it, and she just sort of, you know, she totally produced that tune and totally produced my vocals on said, you know, what if we, you know, try breaking that down and just sort of have more of a Tom Waits feel, like sort of, sort of more of a speaking feel rather than totally singing it. And we, you know, went round and round over it. And, you know, as you do in the studio, I mean, you yeah. can, you can go over something however many times and you can lose your mind in there. But, um, this was one where it was like getting to me. You know, I was really like, I was on the, she broke me a little bit. The, like I was, you know, on the verge of cracking her tears or something in there. And she got, you know, she got a great, great take from it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so. I love the, the visual of, um, of her producing it from kind of soups to nuts, meaning, you know, it's one thing to produce the music and sort of let the vocals go, but she really understands from everything I've heard she's produced, right? I've listened to a lot of her work. I think she's amazing. I think all she these is women incredible. Yeah. are amazing. Um, you know, I've been watching the careers through the years um, just as an audience member. But uh, I think that's Julie's, like, I think that's her superpower. Yeah, it's one know? of them. She's got a lot of superpowers. Yeah. Working on this record with her, I learned just how many superpowers she yeah. has. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know about all of them. I also saw her as an audience member, you know, from yeah. when I was a teenager, um, going to Ani DeFranco shows, and I remember, you know, before she was in that band, and then when she came in that band, and actually the records that were put out once Julie joined 
I loved those records mm-hmm. and working with her and playing music with her and, you know, seeing her play other shows as well. I really get how, um, that's Julie's sound. You know, there's, there was a show that Julie played with Shelly at the Freight and, Shelly Doty at the Freight and Salvage. And, um, there was a recording of it and Shelly and I were listening to it. And I just had this like body memory as I was listening to this recording and I realized what it was, was this body memory of listening to some Ani records mm-hmm. and the certain vibe and musicality and tone and just sounds in general. I realized, oh, that's Julie, you know, that's, I'm hearing this now because that's Julie playing on my friend Shelley's show and then, you know, I'm having this body memory of like, it's just in, ingrained in there and that's that's julie's um you know touch on the, on those records yeah. you know that's julie's touch on those songs and just how uniquely julie it was and so and that was really cool to to realize uh so many years later and and you know now i can now i can um feel that in my own music when i play with julie you know it's like oh here's julie coming in when i play shows without julie when i play show, shows with julie you know it's, uh, Julie Wolf, we're, we're having a moment for you right now. Julie so. Wolf, <laughs> I, think, I think we invoked you in the room, and you are loved clearly. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, you know, we had talked a little bit about this. Um, I don't know if it'll make it in. With we'll see with editing how it comes back around. But um, you know, we talked about your sobriety a little bit and about living as a sober woman and being a sober musician specifically. Yes. Um, of which I also have had a little bit of experience off and on uh, back in the 80s. And I'm curious, um, I'm curious if it's tied into, I don't know, the um, the vulnerability in this record, like coming into it as a sober person. Is that, could that be part of, is that part of it in my making things up? Um, no, I don't think you're making things up. I would <laughs> say that it definitely affects the outcome of this record. Um, you know, it's interesting because the songs, some of these songs were written before I was sober. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, actually, yeah, a good a number of them. Um, but yes, they have changed forms, I would say, you know, I would say during the, during the process, as well as this record in general. You know, I would say that the most obvious impact is that this record wouldn't exist if I was not sober. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, the songs exist. I would say that the different moments of vulnerability, you know, different performances, maybe a record would exist, but the, the way it has turned out. And I would say calling in the, the people and musicians on this record, I, strongly believe that that wouldn't happen if I wasn't sober. And that just has to simply do with my own um, level of self-love, really. Mm. You know? I would say that I spent a life not loving myself, and I would say that in my sobriety I've started to learn to love myself. And in doing that, I started to accept that no, I can, I can do this like I can make this record and maybe these people want to be on it as well you know I whereas before I'd be like no I'm not gonna you know I'm not 
I'm definitely not good enough. I definitely can't ask that person. Uh, they're definitely not going to want to play with me, mm. you know. So, and that's definitely, you know, that's plagued me always. I don't, you know, I say this and I, I would say this is, is pretty vulnerable to say into a microphone. But yeah, you know, I could play a show that was a great show. You know, the, it was whatever club I was in, it was sold out and everyone was like, that was fucking amazing my god people are blown away i've got every compliment possible and you know i'd go home and spend three hours thinking about like was i weird in that conversation did i say something like god how did i you know i mean i've done that for years and people that know me very well know this you know anyone anyone that's would hear this would say oh yeah you know i was on the other side of that very annoying obsessive train um, and for me, my sobriety is, you know, that's, it's all about that. It's, you know, working with that aspect of my brain and, and learning some tools to work with that side of it and, you know, quiet that voice that still there absolutely wants to tell me, you know, wanted to tell me today, like, you know, you are not going to sound very good when you talk about your music and stuff, you know, it wants to do that all the time. But I would say that you know, being sober and working and really working on my recovery because you cannot drink, but that's, you know, it can get worse if you're not really working on recovery. So to really work with, um, you know, your own personal demons, your character defaults, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them. I think that's really where that shifts my, you know, life and paradigm and my own happiness and so I feel like the you know all the things that I was able to accomplish and all the things I was able to manage I mean I would say some of the hardest things have come up in my life around my sobriety and being able to really hold those and manage those and still you know push through and create something that I'm proud of is uh, has a lot to do with my sobriety Mm. I am. I did. I was talking over you a little bit, and I apologize for that. I resonate very much with that whole critical mind, and part of that critical mind, I feel like, as an artist, lives in our community pretty firmly. I don't know very many artists that don't have some form of it. Um, some worse than others. Yeah. Some more debilitated by it than others. You know, it debilitates the creative process. Right. It's debilitating to worry about those things. Yeah. You've had this killer experience killer show killer night as you very eloquently described and to go (laughs) home and to focus on uh uh, i understand yeah something that doesn't matter really (laughs) something that doesn't matter matter. i probably isn't true you know and this is this is just me you know this is not to say this is just my experience you know i'm i'm i know that there's plenty (laughs) plenty of amazing artists out there that you know have an opposite experience of mine around any sort of, you know, addiction or, you know, sobriety or not, <laughs> not sobriety. Um, yeah, this is just, this is just my experience with it and what it sort of, how I see how it's played out in my life, mm. you know, and how it's affected what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, um, again, I've been living in this record for, since you sent it to us maybe yesterday or two days ago. Yeah. And uh, it's a gorgeous piece of work. And Thank I you. would be uh, I would be very proud 
I encourage Thank you, you to be very proud. I am. I am very proud. Thank you very much. I've, I'm. Yes. I'm very grateful and, <laughs> and proud of it. Yeah, I'm. I'm blessed. That's how I feel about beautiful this record and and the folks involved. Where um, I, there's things that I want, I want you to tell me about stuff that's going on. But I want to find out where can someone get this um, this album. Tell us all the details. Um, well, you can get it so on my website, mm-hmm. which is www.katycashmusic.com. And um, there is a store link on that mm-hmm. um, website that goes to Bandcamp. You can get it on Bandcamp. You can get it on CD Baby. You can get it on iTunes and all of those sorts of things as well. However... If you do buy it directly from the artist, as you know, as an artist, um, you get all of the <laughs> the money that goes towards the album. So, um, but it is available through many different digital, um, excellent, yeah, distribution distribution sites. Um, so what projects are you working on other than this? What are I know you're doing something for the Sarah Bush dance project. I'm yes. So, yeah. So I'm in two other bands, um, Year of the Fist, which is a punk rock, heavy rock and roll band, um, which is very active and very good. And I, I love being in that band. Um, and a band called Skip the Needle mm-hmm. is like a rock and soul kind of band. And um, Skip the Needle has been asked to compose the music for the Sarah Bush Dance Project show that is happening this year called Spirit and Bones. So we're really excited about that. I feel very honored to be asked um, to write the music for that. That is happening in October um, at the Atrium Theater, which is a venue, a new venue within the um, War Memorial building in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Okay. And the Atrium? Yeah, the Atrium. Okay. Atrium Theater at the SF War Memorial. And... Um, that those performances are October 26th through 28th. Will you be the house band for the performances yes. as well? Yes. So we're writing the music and we're performing in the live. Amazing. Live performances, yeah. Um, um, so that's really exciting. And um, you can find out more information about that at sarahbushdance.org. And the name of that show is Spirit and Bones? Spirit and Bones, yes. Okay. And it's an all-female crew band and dancers ranging in ages 20 to 70 so it's pretty exciting outstanding yeah oh, i'm super excited to check that out and they are raising funds also um for this because anything this big is pretty challenging to to yeah. do on your own so reaching out to the community is a good way to do that and um they there's more information about that as well at the same website that okay. you get for donations and Terrific. support thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm hoping I can get you to sing a song. Would you be willing to play something live for us? Yes. You would? I would. That's very exciting. <laughs> um, you have been listening. This is uh, Grab Em By The Songs, the podcast. I am Kim Lembo, and we have Katie Cash here in the studio with us in Oakland, and she's going to play a song for us. Excellent. Cool. With my dreams on the wings of today And I thought about the time When that switch wasn't turned Time draws a line So our hearts won't get burned And I have learned 
gift horse in the mouth No, ain't it funny All the things that we say out of fear Pages and pages of my words that come out wrong Now I've paid the wages to the rights of another song And I was wrong Never look a gift horse in the mouth Never look a gift horse in the mouth And so I'm here Laying tracks of my history one by one But my winter nights aren't as harsh as God And I never really care about long golden hair Never look a gift horse in the mouth Never look a gift horse in the mouth Never look a gift horse in the mouth I'll never look a gift horse in the mouth You've been listening to Grab em by the Songs, the podcast. To learn more about us, visit us online at grabembythesongs.com.